0: Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia, on the iHeart Radio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues.
1: The biggest guess.
0: Marcus Paul in the morning starts now.
1: Alright, good morning to you. Nice to have your company and welcome back. I hope you had a a wonderful Easter period. I hope you got to catch up with family and friends and you stayed safe and enjoyed some precious time Uh, with those close to you. Maybe you worked. If you did, thank you very much. Uh, If you're a first responder and of course you work shift work and all the rest of it, Uh, I hope it was worthwhile. and I hope you didn't work the entire Easter long weekend. Oh, if you did, you you know, enjoy your penalty rates, I guess. (laughs) It's nice to have your company. Welcome, uh, starterfm.com.au. We're live until nine, uh, also on the iHeartRadio platform and tune in. And later today, you can listen back or tune in for the first time to the Prawncast podcast, which is up on your podcast platform plenty to dissect. Of course, I'll get stuck into some of the goings-on in relation to the end of the first week of campaigning for the election, which is coming up on the 21st of next month. Um, Who has done better over the Easter long weekend, considering uh, you know a couple of days of the weekend was supposed to be a a bit of a, uh, well, a ceasefire if you like, but that wasn't really adhered to. Uh, There's been a major stuff up by Scott Morrison. i I doubt very much whether most of Australia's population will read about it, considering uh, the horrific state of bias that exists with the mainstream media at the moment. Anthony Albanese continues to have a target on his head as the extreme right, or not even the extreme right. (laughs) The so-called independent press continue to absolutely crucify him for every little mistake. Well, ScoMo made a big one yesterday, and Social service advocates will certainly be reminding him of it. I'll get to those stories in a couple of minutes. Travel has changed. Uh, That is, COVID-19 restrictions have eased in relation to travel. I'll get into that. Andrew O'Keefe behind bars. Normally, I wouldn't talk about this sort of stuff, but it gives a, a fascinating insight into what our prisoners on remand have to go through. He's acting like a prima donna, and obviously, you know, he he certainly would be suffering, but some would say deservedly so. Uh, I mean, he's on remand. He'll be back in court in the, uh, the coming weeks, and hopefully for him, he'll be bailed. If not, his existence inside the Silverwater Remand Centre seems to be driving him so nuts that he's become agitated and, and demanding uh, of the corrections officers out there. Anyway, I'll get into that story as well. We'll check the weather around the nation. And if you would like to comment on any of the stories, as always, send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. And, of course, thank you, as always, for being a part of the discussion on the Facebook page. Let's get into it this morning. Some great music on the way, as always, and we'll keep you updated with the latest news of the day via Air News. It's nice to have your company on this Monday. It is the 19th day of April. Welcome back. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has finally tripped up on the campaign trail after getting a key figure wrong one week after Anthony Albanese suffered a damaging gaffe. Now, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has definitely suffered his first major campaign gaffe, incorrectly stating the rate of job seeker while being quizzed by journos in Perth yesterday. It had been, so far, smooth sailing for Scott Morrison, who'd yet to experience the same slip-ups that have plagued Labor leader Anthony Albanese on the hustings. But yesterday, ScoMo incorrectly said job seekers were paid $46 a week while answering a question on the cost of living. Now, of course, the actual figure is $46 a day. Now, Labor's Jason Clare was quick off the mark to highlight the error and took to Twitter to call for the Prime Minister to correct the record. He wrote, today Scott Morrison got the job seeker rate wrong, not by a little. He was out by $276 a week. Will he come out and correct the record? Look, hundreds of social media users pounced on the gaffers, as did Network 10 political editor Peter Van Onselen. Uh, Maybe that's what he wants it, that is the job seeker rate to be, said Van Onselen. Now, the PM's team later said it was a slip of the tongue. It comes as Scott Morrison left the door open to deal with teal independence in the events of a hung parliament. The coalition, of course, is under pressure in several blue ribbon seats across the country from challenges with links to the Climate 200 movement. Now, the PM was asked not once yesterday, but twice, if he would rule out forming an alliance with the so-called climate independence during his Perth press conference. But he refused to be drawn. He said, we intend to win majority government in this election. Instead, he used the question as an opportunity to renew his attack on the group who he claimed would plunge Parliament back into, quote, chaos and uncertainty, unquote. You just don't know what you're going to get. You don't know who they are going to support and who they are not going to support. You don't know what the policies are. Uh, Contracting out your decision to an independent candidate who doesn't know which way they are going to jump, I don't think that's a vote for stability and certainty, said Scott Morrison. So that's, that's the hand he'll be playing with these climate 200 people. Look, only a handful of seats are expected to determine the outcome of the federal election. High-profile challenges in traditionally liberal seats such as Kuyong, Goldstein and Wentworth have added to the Coalition's headache, given they need to hold all 76 seats they currently have. For the Coalition and Labor, as we know, the magic number is 76. Fall short and the decision of who claims power will be left to the crossbench. Now, yesterday, the candidate hoping to oust Treasurer Josh Frydenberg revealed she would not guarantee supply or demand to either majority party unless it made major changes to climate policy. That's Monique Ryan. She was on Sky News and she said at this point, neither of the major parties has come to the party to, uh, has come to the table rather, in the same way that the people of Kuyong want them to. Asked to name a figure, Dr. Ryan said on Sky that if elected, she would only do a deal if it included a 60% emission reduction target at a minimum. Well, I'm sorry to say, dear doctor, I can't see you rolling the incumbent treasurer. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Tuesday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning on starterfm.com.au and, of course, the iHeartRadio and TuneIn platforms and on the Prawncast. Look, yesterday, Anthony Albanese was unable to put a figure on how many additional nurses and GPs Australia will need to cover a raft of labour health policies. He held a press conference in Brisbane, which was crashed by protesters Now, last week, as we know, Labor unveiled its plan to roll out 50 urgent care clinics across the country, which it claims would be up and running next year. Now, this was criticized as being an old Kevin Rudd policy recycled for 2022. But for the second day in a row, Albo could not name how many additional healthcare professionals will be needed to staff the facilities. He told reporters in Brisbane, we know that it's a challenge, but we also know that we have an obligation, regardless of who's in government, to train more nurses to train more doctors. He was quizzed further. You're not giving the finer detail as to what's behind the health policies, a reporter asked. So, do you know how many nurses you will need? Albo responded by saying each place is different. We know, for example, the Melanoma Institute that will use funding of $14 million to employ additional nurses. They say that will allow them to employ 35 additional nurses. Now, Albo added that Labor would also be investing in TAFE and additional university places to boost the number of healthcare professionals. We'll have more to say about this as we go down the track of this campaign as well, said Albo yesterday. He also met with several young families in the seat of Brisbane who've been impacted by recent floods. Visiting homes in the suburb of Orkinflower, Mr Albanese heard of couples with young babies having to evacuate via boats. One father revealed his newborn son, Ethan, was one of them. The father joked that he hoped his son wasn't traumatised. First boat trip was on a street in a suburb, he said. All right, well, Scott Morrison, of course, as I mentioned just previously, he's left the door open to do a deal with independents in the event of a hung parliament. The Prime Minister was asked twice if he would rule out forming an alliance with the so-called climate independents, these climate 200 people. He did remain coy on both occasions, instead imploring voters not to risk plunging parliament back into chaos and uncertainty. Okay, well, who were these protesters yesterday that crashed Albanese's press conference? Um, Well, they're obviously pro coalition. They had placards explaining as much. The Labour leader and following press pack were greeted by a group of protesters who had gathered at Orkin Flower in Brisbane. Now, the signs, authorised by Queensland LNP State Director Lincoln Folo, Claim life under Labour will not be so Albanese. Yep. Corny. Although it is kind of clever, I guess. Another sign held by a number of participants pokes fun at the Labour inability to recall the unemployment rate when asked earlier in the campaign. Uh, they included Albanese cheat sheets. The sign reads before outlining the unemployment rate 4% and cash rate 0.1%. But I wonder whether there are any placards that actually outline the real unemployment rate. You know, the one that includes people working more than an hour a week. Anyway, not to worry. Now, the other piece of rubbish that uh, I felt I needed to clear up this morning. You know, depending on who uh, you choose to listen to or read, there were differing reports as to what happened at Bluesfest, Byron Bay, over the Easter long weekend. Now, according to the Murdoch rag, booze threatened to drown out the cheers that greeted Anthony Albanese when he walked on stage at Bluesfest to introduce Jimmy Barnes to the crowd in what proved a risky campaign move. Well, I call bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Now, before the Labour leader had even walked on stage, apparently, the crowd began booing at the event MC's mention of the federal election coming up and only intensified as Albo took the microphone. Now, despite the mixed reception, loud cheers went up when Mr Albanese mentioned two key Labour policies, including having a referendum on having First Nations voice to Parliament, as well as more support for the arts industry. What we want is a government that backs the arts sector, Albo said. Then he introduced Jimmy Barnes on the stage, who launched straight into his set. Now, I mean, look, if anybody can qualify as being a supporter of the arts, it's probably Albo and Labour. I mean, what the hell has the federal government, the LMP, done in support of the arts, even during the pandemic? Sweet FA. Anyway, but it doesn't matter, uh, you know, the right media and all the, all the others, the usual suspects, Including the Murdoch rags, uh, they will, you know, obviously spin the yarn to suit their agenda. But apparently, yesterday, and I, I well, definitely yesterday, and I, I, I shared a, a copy of the tweet, David Campbell, uh, who is Jimmy Barnes' son, basically turned around and said, The crowd booing Anthony Albanese was rubbish. You know, uh, they were booing the fact that there's an election coming up, yes. But they, in fact, cheered Albo as he took the stage. Look, not that it really matters. You know, uh, Albo received a, a rock star welcome when he arrived at Bluesfest. That was earlier on Easter Sunday, making good on his vow to shake off a rough first week of the election campaign. Now, uh, yesterday, Albo brushed off his Bluesfest apparent booing, dancing around questions about if Australians can forgive him despite his recent policy fumbles. Asked if he was concerned about the optics given his recent drop in the polls and there was a slight drop, Albo instead used it as an opportunity to discuss the terrific night that he had. He said that he interacted with a whole lot of artists as well as a lot of people and the artists uniformly were were just grateful they were able to perform. He said that artists have been doing it really tough and it's good that Blues Fest, a great festival, was able to go ahead. Now, when asked again, Albo refused to be drawn on his personal popularity or lack thereof. He said, I'm not a commentator. What's wrong with these journalists? Uh, f- focus on the policy stuff. Anyway, just on policies, and Scott Morrison, no surprise here, is focusing on national security. Stronger border security has come into the coalition's election fight just days after Albo made an embarrassing gaffe around his party's policies on the issue. Just days after Albanese was unable to provide a clear position on asylum seeker policy, Scott Morrison announced a $124 million project to strengthen Australia's naval capabilities and border force protection while taking aim at Labor's home affairs policies. Now, Mr. Morrison took aim at Labour's 2008 abolishment of temporary protection visas and said it was disappointing that Albo had not learned anything from his party's past as he announced the government would buy two new Border Patrol boats. Yeah, he said when he was Shadow Minister for Immigration, he was dealing with, in this country, an even worse border protection crisis, with 1,200 people that we know who had perished and For two years, we worked to put in place a policy that we knew would not come overnight. It took 10 years. We set out a very clearly uh, defined policy and a way to fix this problem, and on he went. Look, I'm just wondering whether turning back the boats is a big issue this election time. Let me know your thoughts. You can send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister has also ruled out any future tax hikes while hitting out at Labor's economic policies, accusing them of going after Australians' money. Speaking in response to a question about interest rate hikes and the flow-on effect to groceries and other essentials, ScoMo said his government's economic policies would keep downward pressure on prices. All right, well, they haven't yet, Scott. The alternative he offered was higher taxes, a move he says Labor is apparently gunning for. And on it goes. Now, what do you make of Ann Rushton? Anne Rushton has stopped short of categorically ruling out future Medicare cuts, setting the stage for a Labor campaign on health. Now, the minister who is going to replace Greg Hunts, if ScoMo is re-elected, was grilled yesterday morning about previous claims that Medicare was not sustainable, but asked if she could rule out any cuts, and Rustin seemed less certain. She was asked on the Today Show, are you cutting Medicare because history tells us you seem to be having a little each way on that one. She said, First and foremost, this government actually guaranteed Medicare, and Medicare is something that's a really important part of the Australian landscape. Universal health care is something that is an absolute underpinning policy of this government. But the answer didn't stat- satisfy the hosts, who continued, and she didn't answer it, of course. Are you cutting Medicare, or categorically, no cuts to Medicare? No, we are. We are the party that guaranteed Medicare, she added. Yeah, look, she's not real uh, up front, not real up front at all. In an earlier interview on the ABC's AM program, the minister was taken to task on the issue as well. Uh, she was asked three times before being told the government had absolutely guaranteed Medicare during a debate on the GP co-payment floated in Joe Hockey's cut-heavy 2014 budget. Miss Rustin, of course, said she the scheme in its current form was not sustainable and the credit card is maxed out. Speaking about GP co-payments to the Senate back in 2015, she said Medicare, quote, in its current form is not sustainable into the future without some change being made, unquote. I wouldn't trust her as far as I could throw her. Meanwhile, the cashless debit card strategy. Now, I uh, have Anthony Albanese on the record, obviously, a a couple of years ago at the old joint, of, of stating very clearly that Labor would scrap the Indu card, the cashless welfare card. Now, there's been much said about it in the last 24 hours. I'll get to that story right after this. Marcus Paul in the morning. Who are going to be in those portfolios? Defence, Treasury, Finance, of course, Mr Speaker, all of these foreign affairs, very important portfolios. And Mr. I believe it is. A so- I've been the social services minister, and that the issue, Mr. Speaker, uh, Mr. Speaker, here we go. I'm back in Parliament. There we go. That the issue is really. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, once again, the leader of the opposition has come forward, Mr. Speaker, and uh, and outlined things not as they were, Mr. Speaker, and seek to misrepresent, Mr. Speaker, the remarks. <laughs> Look, one of the big problems that the federal government faces, that's the incumbent LNP party, is the fact that there has been murmurings in the past of putting basically everybody on a cashless welfare card or an in card, which controls their spending. Now, over the Easter long weekend, Labor doubled down on its tactic to distribute, information to pensioners about cashless debit cards which treasury spokesman jim chalmers insists was a key issue now Albo handballed the question about whether the information would be pulled from the campaign to mr chalmers who said it wouldn't be now of course the lnp and their cheer squad are unhappy saying it's a well it's a scare campaign really is it a scare campaign because i hear and i have heard for years of many people who are on this bloody cashless welfare card who don't want to be, including many pensioners. Wherever you go in Australia, pensioners are worried about Scott Morrison and Anne Rustin, said Jim Chalmers. We make absolutely no apology whatsoever for standing up for the pensions of this country and the people who are petrified that this cashless debit card will be extended to them. Now, yesterday, News Corp revealed Labor was falsely telling pensioners in marginal seats like Longman, Lily, and Flinders that the government would control their spending by putting them on cashless debit cards. Well, you can call it a scare campaign, you can call it whatever you bloody will like. At the end of the day, it's a campaign. And I would not put it for a second beyond the LNP from rolling out this cashless debit card throughout every single bit of welfare. Anyway, the tactic comes despite the coalition having repeatedly ruled this out. Well, it's just like when Labor says, oh, we're not going to do a deal with the Greens. They've repeatedly ruled it out. But Morrison and the LNP continually run a scare campaign saying that Labor and the Greens are joined at the hip, which is bullshit. So what's the difference? Anyway, the tactic comes despite the Coalition having repeatedly ruled this out and a Queensland State Labor MP having to apologise in Parliament earlier this year for making a similar claim. There are comments on the record from Scott Morrison, from Anne Ruston, talking about the expansion of the scheme, talking about it being a national platform, Jim Chalmers said. There's a very clear difference here and people on pensions right around Australia need to understand it. The Prime Minister and his now hand-picked Health Minister have been given multiple opportunities in recent times to rule out this expansion and if they do it now in the teeth of an election, you know that you can't believe them. Mr Chalmers said Labor would not be stepping back from raising this important issue on behalf of pensioners. LMP Longman, MP... Terry Young earlier claimed the tactic was, quote, despicable and an outright lie. Oh, poor Terry. Harden up. It happens, and it's going to continue to happen as the election campaign gets dirtier. Well, look, Labour have certainly plunged in the latest polls. According to News Corp, here's a quote, Mr Albanese's train wreck first week of a campaign Has hurt him in the latest polling, with voter support plunging from 38 to 34%. Primary support for the coalition rose from 34 to 35%, and Scott Morrison made gains on his personal approval, leading Mr. Albanese as preferred Prime Minister 38 to 30, according to the Resolve Strategic Survey. All right, well, if you want to comment on that, I'd love to hear from you. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au. Why is it fair to expect somebody to live off $277 a week when when at the same time you think it's fair that a politician should get $288 a day just to help with travel costs associated with being in Canberra? Well, you're you're, you're conflating two completely different things, Lee, so I don't accept the comparison. Meanwhile, first home buyers will be able to purchase more expensive houses with a 5% deposit As the federal government expands its guarantee scheme to combat soaring prices, that's among some of the goodies that were election promises announced over the Easter long weekend. From July the 1st, the price caps on new and existing homes which can be purchased with government assistance will rise nationwide, including from $700,000 to $800,000 in Melbourne, and from $800,000 to $900,000 in Sydney. There are apparently 50,000 places available in this scheme, including 35,000 for first-home buyers who can avoid the upfront expense of lenders' mortgage insurance when the government guarantees up to 15% of their loans. Now, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said increasing the price caps meant even more Australians can get into a home sooner said saving to buy a house has always been hard work and we know as prices have increased it's been getting harder. Well he's absolutely right. (laughs) Will this help? Possibly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, hey, welcome back. Let's just have a quick squeeze at the weather around Australia today. Uh, let's start in Perth, shall we? Fine, sunny, and a top of 27 degrees after an overnight minimum of 13. For Adelaide, a possible shower for you today with a top of 20 degrees. Melbourne, well, yesterday's rain should ease for a top of only 17 degrees today for Melbourne. Hobart, partly cloudy after a chilly kind of night, down to 11, a max today of 20 degrees. For the nation's capital in Canberra, rain is developing with a top of 21 degrees. Uh, Sydney, a late shower or two expected today, but a warmish top of 26 degrees. Uh, And looking ahead, a possible early shower for... Tomorrow and maybe a little wetter by Thursday and Friday. Brisbane today, mostly sunny and a nice top of 28 degrees. Very nice. And Darwin, looking at a mostly sunny 34 degrees. Alright, that's a little look at the weather today. We'll start doing a little bit more of that uh, on the show as we go forward. Well, look, yesterday's sunshine in Sydney was a nice backdrop for the first cruise ship in more than two years to sail into the harbour. It uh, is restarting an industry worth more than what is it, $5 billion to the Australian economy. The P&O flagship, called the Pacific Explorer, came through the heads just after nine o'clock with a three-tug escort and the hopes of some 18,000 people whose jobs rely on the industry riding with her. Uh, Marguerite Fitzgerald, who was a little uh, tearful yesterday, I guess she would have been cheerful and tearful, she's from Carnival Australia at P&O Cruises she said this is the culmination of two years of hope and optimism and a lot of hard work three tugs sprayed plumes of water into the air as the liner which had been docked in cyprus returned to australia to be reprovisioned and for the 600 crew members to spend six weeks training and getting re-equated with the ship before her first four-night cruise to brisbane Margie Osmond, the chief executive of Tourism and Transport Forum, said it is a symbolic moment for Australia. (laughs) Really? All right. Anyway, the pictures of the ship coming through the heads will send the message around the world that Sydney is open for business, not just for cruising, but for all tourism. Now, New South Wales Transport Minister, uh, he was on board um, a boat of dignitaries Of course he was. David Elliott uh, travelled out to see the P&O liner come through the heads at 9.30. Uh, He said, it's a very, very special day because psychologically we are seeing what living with COVID looks like. When Scott Morrison and Dominic Perrottet said, we cannot walk away, we have to live with COVID, this is exactly what they meant. Okay. (laughs) David Elliott said, cruising is synonymous with Sydney's harbour. So today's arrival will be a wonderful psychological boost for Australian tourism. It's an emotional day. Well, I mean, understandably, tourism leaders welcomed the return of the industry. Uh, Denise Aura, who's the boss of the Royal Botanic Gardens and the Domain Trust said, we used to have 5.4 million visitors walk through the Queen Elizabeth II gates and we lost 60% of that through COVID. It's great to start to get those numbers back. Well, that is true. And it'll be nice to see more cruise liners entering the heads and sailing towards Sydney Harbour Bridge. Well, speaking of sailing, more Sydney ferries were cancelled amid staff shortages over the weekend, but they are at capacity with free travel over the Easter holiday period. I'll give you that story in just a couple of moments. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, the public transport network around Sydney well and truly stretched its legs over the Easter holiday period. But some commuters hoping to catch a ferry from Sydney Harbour yesterday have woken up to some bad news as ferry services were cancelled due to staffing issues. Commuters wanting to make the most of the free travel offer were warned to expect delays on the ferry network throughout the day with significant waiting times anticipated at Manly. Now, New South Wales Minister for Transport, David Elliott, said yesterday morning the delays were caused by staff shortages from the Sydney ferry network and unfortunately will be the new normal for the time being. Well, that's probably because of the COVID situation. Now, yesterday, commuters were told to consider other modes of transport as services quickly hit capacity amid cancellations and booming passenger numbers. Well, I mean, the weather was gorgeous. The public transport is free, but there simply aren't enough staff. In an update posted shortly before three o'clock yesterday afternoon, Sydney ferry operators warned services were hitting capacity and were running late. Now, for instance, the 4.02pm ferry from Circular Quay to Rydalmere and Parramatta was cancelled, with Sydney ferries citing staff shortages, after multiple services were cancelled amid swelling passenger numbers also on Saturday. Now, Paul Garrett, who's the Deputy Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, said some staff shortages were due to COVID-19, but not all. Transdev Sydney Ferries haven't recruited enough staff to cover all the timetabled services, according to the union. He said after two years of COVID, it is clear that an over-reliance on overtime simply doesn't work. Now, the Maritime Union of Australia is calling on Transdev Sydney Ferries to fix it, and it needs to be resolved well in advance of the Vivid Festival, which will happen in May. Ferry operator Transdev apparently didn't say too much about this, but it all came as Transport Minister David Elliott, of course, heralded the success of the start of 12 days of free Uh, public transport, with more than 1 million free trips registered across the network by Saturday. Compared to Easter Saturday last year, ferry patronage was up nearly 24%, train services up 15%, and light rail up nearly 18%. Now, David Elliott said the combination of high vaccination rates, great weather, school holidays, and two years of restrictions had created the perfect ingredients for Sydney siders to embrace fare-free travel with gusto. And they did. <laughs> they did. Well, I guess what they didn't expect was the chaos at Circular Quay, with many ferries cancelled or delayed. And it probably would have left a little bit of a sour taste uh for many um those that were keen to enjoy the idyllic weather along sydney's beautiful waterways i mean i don't know should we expect delays i would have thought the government and the union and the operators would have worked together to make uh, this probably a little more uh, streamlined for the easter period but of course public transport around sydney was heavy all day, in fact, right over the Easter period. Free travel on buses, trains, ferries, and light rail will continue to run until and including April 25, Anzac Day. Of course, the Transport Minister, David Elliott, is also contemplating making fare-free travel a permanent occurrence on public holidays. I mean, it is in other countries, such as Belgium. Among its benefits would be keeping people out longer, encouraging drunk drivers off the road, and keeping congestion down. I mean, it's a good social policy. Now, David Elliott said the 12 days of fare free travel over Easter The school holidays and Anzac Day across all modes of transport had so far proven to be a great success, and I agree with him. The government waived fees for all modes of public transport from April 14 to 25 after commuters were left stranded following industrial chaos. It's understood David Elliott will seek hard data from Business Sydney as part of exploring a more permanent arrangement. Well, I think that'd be a great arrangement. Why don't we? Every public holiday have fair... Uh, free fares to use the public transport system. Um, I can't see anything wrong with that. Uh, What's your thoughts on it? Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back on this Tuesday morning. It is the 19th day of April. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, how would you like private and secure internet access with a 30-day money-back guarantee? and it will allow you to automatically unblock streaming services. Well, welcome to oak all the w's.o.e.c.k.com. The most advanced streaming VPN on the market. Their revolutionary resi- uh, residential IP smart routing is built in to the Oak network. You simply connect to that network closest to you and you access your favorite movies and shows not just from here in Australia but from around 30 regions across the world. It's a new breed of VPN, industry-first functionality and class-leading security. They secure your privacy at oak, all the w's dot o-e-c-k dot com. They secure your privacy. To and from your device using industry-leading encryption standards on servers and routers that they own. Their zero hard drive system will not store any of your data or usage activity ever. What does all of that mean? Well, private and secure internet access. You really need to check it out now. All the W's dot, oak, dot com. Now it'll also keep the family safe. You can get powerful device-level filtering to help prevent dangerous content reaching your family and their devices. Oak's unique online guardian cerebus is the must-have feature for families and individuals. You can choose which content to block and prevent threats before they actually occur. You can quickly block dangerous sites and services at the DNS level to help prevent ads, malware, phishing sites and more. So, secure and safe, keeping the family safe. All the W's dot O-E-C-K dot com. Check them out. They'll keep your internet private and secure. It's a new breed of VPN. They'll automatically unblock streaming services so you can access great content your favourite movies and shows from over 30 regions around the world, and most importantly as well, if you get Oak and you use the coupon (laughs) PRAWNY, that is from Marcus Paul in the morning, PRAWNY, you'll get a 20% discount. How good is that? What are you waiting for? A next-gen VPN for private and secure internet access. Get Oak today. And if you're not happy, you have a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's oak, all the W's, dot O-E-C-K, dot com. Sites. Yeah, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, normally I wouldn't touch stories like this, but whenever a celebrity finds themselves behind bars... Um, <laughs> It's uh, an an opportunity, I guess, or an excuse for the media to talk about what it's actually like. And they refer to, you know, I guess, fallen stars or people that have, you know, once been accustomed to a life of luxury, now bunking down on steel beds and having a a toilet within (laughs) smelling range. Anyway... Fallen television icon Andrew O'Keefe's life behind bars on remand has been revealed over the weekend and Silverwater prison sources say the fallen television icon is yet to come to terms with his temporary stint in a tiny cell and prison-issued green tracksuit while he's on remand. Now, apparently, the fallen Aussie TV icon has become entitled demanding, and a prima donna out there at Silverwater Prison Yard. That's according to a stunning assessment from prison staff who are growing tired of his antics, apparently. The former host of Deal or No Deal and The Chase has been on remand at the Western Sydney Jail since he allegedly grabbed a former sex worker by the throat in January. But prison sources have told News Corp he has not come to terms with his new existence in a two-meter by three-meter cell and prison-issued green tracksuit. A source said he's self-entitled. He's demanding, constantly asking for this and for that. He's a real prima donna. I don't think he's come to terms with the fact he's on remand. Look, after battling addictions to cocaine and ice on the outside, his lawyer over the weekend revealed he was now on medication. Well, that is good. He's receiving medications he is not withdrawing from ice. Well, has he already withdrawn from ice, considering he was battling that addiction before he went into jail? Anyway, for the nephew of rock and roll legend, Johnny O'Keefe and the son of a former Supreme Court judge, O'Keefe's new life could not be further away from his old one, the life of a prime time television show, sets and celebrity charity appearances. His cell doors slam shut at 3pm. 3pm? They get their dinner at 3 o'clock today in the afternoon. Okay, it's the only hot meal of the day which is heated up from a chill pack. There's no dining room. All meals are eaten in their cells, apparently. He's also handed his nightly rations, consisting of milk, cereal and seven slices of bread to go with the sachets of coffee and prison-issued tea bags. Now, O'Keefe is believed to be in a cell of his own where he beds down on a metal bunk in a cell equipped with an open steel toilet, a jug and a sandwich maker. The doors stay slam shut until morning muster, which happens at 7am the next morning. It's a long time. Now, the 50-year-old was on six charges after police alleged he grabbed a former sex worker by the throat, punched her and pushed her to the ground. He's pleading not guilty to all charges, including intentionally choking a person without consent, three counts of common assault and one count of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. He has, though, pleaded guilty to possessing one and a half grams of dope, marijuana. His neighbours at his new address include warring bikies and others awaiting court dates, Now, he fought for bail in the Supreme Court, and of course, as we know, it was refused. Well, they even go to the extent of telling us what he wears. The prism wardrobe. It's certainly a long way from the designer suits that were worn in the corridors of Channel 7. So his prism wardrobe includes a green T-shirt, shorts, tracksuit, and a pair of sneakers with Velcro instead of laces. Anything else can be ordered from the weekly buy-up, on which he can splash out uh, up to a maximum of 100 bucks, which he will either work for or have paid into his account by family and friends. Now, O'Keefe can't spend more than 150 bucks a month. His weekly shopping list includes choices from stationery, confectionery, drinks and snack foods, toiletries and hygiene products, grocery items and, quote, culturally friendly food typically used to celebrate events of cultural or religious significance. Yeah, but look, I guess the one shining light is that he will be able to give up the dreaded ciggies because smoking is banned behind bars and nicotine replacement products can also be had from the buyer. This will be Andrew O'Keefe's life until at least July the 18th, when his case is due to be heard next to court. Welcome back. Okay, some major changes are coming to the way we travel, starting this week as Australia's border continues to reopen. The rules for travel in and out of the country are easing, and we're in for some big changes. Well, what must Australian travellers now do to get back into Australia? And does it vary depending on where you are travelling from? Well, Australia is open to the world again as we know, And it has been exciting to see so many fully vaccinated travellers reuniting with family and friends, getting back to their studies or visiting for the first time after going through so much with the pandemic. Now, to get back into the country, all travellers, no matter where they're travelling from, will need a valid passport, obviously, a valid visa, if not an Australian citizen, evidence they meet Australia's definition of fully vaccinated for international travel purposes, and a completed digital passenger declaration. Now, it's really important that incoming travellers complete the declaration in full and submit it before they check in for their flight to Australia. This will give them the best chance to save significant time upon arriving Uh, at customs. Now it means uploading your vaccination information and providing your contact details. You'll also need to make a declaration on your recent travel history and that you are aware of the quarantine requirements that apply when coming into the relevant Australian state or territory. All incoming travellers will need to comply with the testing and quarantine requirements of the state or territory of their arrival and any other state or territory to which they plan to travel. Uh, It's also recommended that you prepare your documents before you head to the airport for your flight and be ready to show them at check-in and on arrival here in Australia. There's a lot of information on the Home Affairs website that steps passengers through this process. Now, from yesterday, all travellers to Australia will no longer need to provide a negative COVID-19 pre-departure test. Uh, This change has been reflected in an update to the DPD app, so you can manually update the app or double-check that you have automatic updates enabled on your smartphone to make your travel experience as smooth as possible. Now, the digital passenger declaration, it's critical it collects health information and helps the country manage COVID 19, keeping both international travellers and the Australian community safe. Now, when Australia reopened to all fully vaccinated international arrivals back in February, we did see a significant, significant increase in international passenger volumes almost overnight. So the government launched the DPD to help accommodate and enable the safe and timely facilitation of large numbers of travellers into the country. So far, it has helped hundreds of thousands of passengers through the Australian border seamlessly, and that's why it's so critical that inbound passengers complete the online form before they travel. It'll save people time at check-in and when they land. Look, there's no requirement for those travelling within Australia to complete a DPD, but... If you're an Australian heading overseas for a holiday or a business trip, then you will be required to complete your DPD when you return back home to Australia. That's a digital passenger declaration. Now, where do you get it from? It's available as a web form on the Home Affairs website and also as a free mobile app for both Apple and Android. All right, so there's just a few changes. Uh, that have been made and come into play from this week. Now, what are the requirements for unvaccinated travellers? All international arrivals, including Australian citizens and permanent residents who do not meet Australia's vaccination requirements must either be in an exempt category or must apply for a travel exemption. They may also be subject to international flight passenger caps and quarantine, which would further affect the timeliness of their planned travel or return to Australia and incur further costs. Now from yesterday, unvaccinated Australian citizens and permanent residents are able to leave Australia without an individual travel exemption, but may still be asked by an official about their vaccination status. The Australian Government recommends passengers departing Australia be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and travel with proof of the vaccination status documentation. Unvaccinated Australian citizens and permanent residents are strongly discouraged from international travel due to obviously the health risks. What about face masks? Are they mandatory on board planes and in airports? Well, travellers must wear face masks while on international flights and at most international airports. These requirements are determined by the state and territory governments. So travellers need to double check before departure. Look, if I'm going away, I'm packing a mask with me. Okay, absolutely. All right, uh, look, there's just some of the changes. If you want more details, just go to the Home Affairs website, and that's where also, of course, you can complete the DPD that I've been talking about. Make sure you do it on time. Check the health requirements in the state or territory that you're arriving in and ensure that you've done everything to ensure a smooth journey to and from Australia. All right, because the last thing you want now that things are opening up, is to be mucked around when you get to your destination or you arrive back home. Marcus fall in the morning. All right, well, that's it for today. Thank you very much for your company here on starterfm.com.au and the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in and maybe you're listening to us on the Prawncast. If you have, I hope you've enjoyed it. Please put it up on your social media for us and share it so we can get more and more people listening into us. If you'd like to be a part of the program, be a sponsor, or perhaps sponsor the Facebook page, we're all, you know, we're independent these days, so we're always after your help. Just drop me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au We'll be back tomorrow morning with all the news, some bite-sized chunks of news, and I I hope you'll enjoy that, some great music, and, of course, we'll continue to keep you updated on the day's news, thanks to Air News. In the meantime, the Prawncast will be up a little later today, and continue to follow the commentary on uh, on the show and all of the issues we bring up on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning. Catch you again tomorrow. Bye. Before. To corporatized welfare. Uh, I've highlighted a story on this program in the last 24 hours where a young woman, a single mother, three young children, including a 10-week-old baby. She's on the Indu card. This corporatized welfare, by the way, Indu is set to pocket another $26 million for two years to run this cashless debit card as they expand it. I mean, this poor woman, she cannot buy, and we have the evidence, she can't buy bread or milk, but she can go next door to a bottle shop and buy an alcoholic beverage. Albo, the question is corporate welfare, where does Labor stand on it, and will you scrap this ridiculous idea of an Indue card where governments are dictating to people how they are to spend their benefits?
0: Well, we opposed it because it doesn't work. and. All of the government's own studies and reports showed that it doesn't work also. We had, there was a, a South Australian senator uh, went into the Northern Territory and uh, to conduct his own investigation was able to buy Grog with it, uh, Rex Patrick. Mm, so that's right, yeah. look, look the, the, the truth is that for some communities a, a limited uh, cashless card Uh, assisted some communities particularly women in uh, remote communities who requested effectively uh, and wanted this to happen for their communities so that they were making sure that they were buying essentials for themselves and their kids Uh, but this expansion is all about ideology rather than common sense and for a political party that says it cares about uh individualism and the, the rights of the individual uh, to seek to impose this on more and more people uh, just defies its own uh, evidence but more than uh, anything, it, more than anything
1: why are we why are we allowing a third party to oh. dic- to dictate who is set to receive Australian taxpayer benefits i mean I, I've, I've never come across anything in my life i don't understand Well, this
0: is just a a part of privatisation, of course, and we we know that. Uh, Remember, Marcus, the example of the company that had basically a shed on Kangaroo Island uh, that were paid tens of millions of dollars uh, to assist with with offshore detention uh, facilities. Uh, Some of this is just extraordinary, and uh, the the connections with, uh, with... the the Liberal Party uh, and uh, is just beyond belief, frankly. And and it's one of the reasons why, frankly, we need a National Integrity Commission uh, which actually oversees all of this uh, which will act as a handbrake Mm. on this activity and I suspect it's one of the reasons why Scott Morrison promised it way back in 2018. Yep. We still haven't seen the legislation.
1: So just to be clear, uh, if elected, Labor would scrap the Indu card.
0: Oh, absolutely. We think there's a role if communities are requesting uh, a government-run system in terms of a a cashless welfare card. So uh, I I, I don't want to say that it, it never has a role because it did have a role. Uh, But the idea of uh, a privatised organisation running uh, the welfare system like this and doing it in a way in which they have an interest in its expansion. That's the thing here. If you introduce the profit motive uh, above uh, what is uh, the public interest, it's the public interest that's got to count here. And and under Labour, that is precisely what we would do.